to just jump right into prayer. Um, we're going to be in John 8, 21, so uh, if you want to get open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, depending on if you have a phone. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have some study guide Bibles in the back. We have those uh, as a free gift to you. Everything back there is resources uh, for the body. We want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So not only do we want to give physical resources, we, that's why we have missional communities that we can walk in life together. That is another way that we can do this stuff is walking together. Um, it's just vitally important not to do this life alone uh, and go uh, letting everything be known. Um, walking in transparent fellowship, right? Being able to be open and honest and with your struggles and hurts and your uh, good things and the bad being just transparent, uh, such a benefit. So I just want to pray for us uh, before we get started. Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, you are the King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the God of all creation. You are the one who is seated on the throne. You are the one who is in control, that we have not wakened up today unless you have allowed us to wake up and you have ordered the stars in the sky. I think of Creation. I was outside last night and looking up at the moon and stars, and once again, that just picture in the immensity, the bigness of it, the vastness of it, um, shows how big that you are. Father, you're big enough to hold on to our problems. You're big enough to walk with us in our pain. You're um, close enough to be with us in the midst of our struggles. And you're a God who wants to draw close to your creation. So I pray today that our hearts would be open, our eyes would be open, that we would trust in you and hope in you, and that we would give our lives completely to you. Pray for this 30, 40 minutes that we would just be dialed in and zoned in. I thank you that we have children in the back, Lord. I thank you that there are young children who get to hear the preaching of the word of God, hear singing of the saints, that they get to be a part of this, that they're not off somewhere else, but they get to see this and take upon this. And I know that my daughter sings these songs that we sing here. So, Father, I pray that that would be a joy for us, that we would not be worried or burdened by any of the children here, but we would look at it with thanksgiving and thankfulness. Pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. So, last week, we touched on the fact that Jesus is, and the title should be up there, the light of the world, right? So last week, we touched on Jesus being the light of the world, and he is the one that illuminates in the midst of darkness. He is the one that shows us the proper way to walk. And I was thinking this week about the nature of water and light and these two items. This is what Jesus recently through our sermons that we have seen that he refers to himself as water and then light and uh, I just recently moved and they have these big huge trees around this housing development and I see these big thick trees they're old and I was thinking a healthy tree needs water and it needs light we need water and we need light the source of water and the source of life for our growth and our health is found in Jesus. He tries to make this abundantly clear, that he is our nutrients, that he is our light. This is what we found out last week. 
Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So for the Christian, right, Jesus should be our guide. He should be our model to follow. He should be our Christ, our King, our Lord. And we should walk how he walks. This is what John says in one of his letters, that we should walk as Jesus walked. So truly trust in Jesus' words is to believe to a point of action. I want to say that one more time, that to truly trust in Jesus' words, what he actually says, that belief should be pointed to action. Because trusting transforms. You can't stay the same if you say that you trust him. If we trust in Jesus, we will follow him. If we don't follow him, we don't trust him. It is that simple. Do we truly believe that if we follow him, that will be the best place for us in our lives? Do we truly believe that he is the light of the world? Do we truly believe that he is the water? Do we truly believe that he is the bread of life? And there are Two points to my sermon, and it's very uh, simple, right? It's in the, in the handout. There are choices that we all get to make. And I'll unpack what Jesus says here, and the two choices are you either die in your sins, or he, Jesus, dies for your sins. It's that simple. And that's it. And I know I might sound repetitive. If you guys have been coming in week in, week out, you're like, all right. Josh, you keep talking about Jesus. You keep talking about what he says. So what we do here at Salt and Light, I just want to give us a a kind of a picture of how we believe that our main diet should be in teaching, right? So what we do here at Salt and Light Church is we walk through the Bible book by book. And we do this expositorily, right? What does it mean to be expository preaching, right? What is that? What does that mean? That means that the point of the text is the point of the sermon. So that's it. Stay in, stay out. What we do is the point of the text is the point of the sermon. So primarily here at Salt and Light, we don't really have sermons based on topics. Now that doesn't mean that we won't. We, we might down the road have a sermon series on finances. We might have one on relationship. We might do that. I'm not shutting that out. But the primary diet that you'll have here from the leadership is that we're going to walk through books of the Bible, allowing the text to drive the point, right? This is our primary diet, and it's designed for us, us together, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to be a scripture-saturated people, to teach us how to read the Bible, how to observe, how to interpret, how to apply. So the question I have is, what is the Bible all about in general? And there might be some confusion, right? There might be an idea that this Bible is like an instruction manual, or how to live a godly not life, or what is the purpose of life, or it's a folk tale, or it's a fairy tale. You might think that this book is just a list of moral lessons, or a history book. But the Bible is one story told over thousands of years by multiple authors in the scriptures. The Old and New Testament contains 66 books that were given by inspiration of God to have him known. So the main purpose of us preaching on Sunday is to have God known. 
We want to know who he is and what he says. So think about this for a moment. If this book is truly a way to know the God of the universe, the God who gives us freedom and truth, isn't it worth investigating a little bit? Isn't it worth digging into a little bit? If the Bible is one unified story that points to the re uh, redemption and reconciliation of people, and it's done through the work of Jesus Christ. So the whole book, the whole Bible, is about Jesus Christ and his plan for reconciliation and creation. Romans says this, from him and through him and to him are all things. From him and through him and to him are all things. About Jesus Christ. So the Bible reveals who Jesus is. And this is why I stick the Bible. That's why we've been walking through John in different sermon series, right? We've been going through unveiling who Jesus claims he is. And it, it might sound challenging, but this book isn't primarily about us. This book is about Jesus. So if we are going to be a scripture-saturated people, it's because we believe that in a personal relationship with God, through the revealed word can transform your life, your family, your workplace, and your community. So if I believe that the Bible is living and active and can transform us, how dare I not try to get us to study this, read this, understand this more? So week in and week out, you might say, like, Josh, you will not stop preaching about this Jesus guy. That he came for sinners and that sinners need to trust him. You Want to know why I'm repetitive? John's repetitive. We're just walking through John, and he keeps saying similar stuff. And remember, John gives us the purpose of this book at the end of the gospel in John 20, 30. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not written in this book. Verse 31 says, but these things were written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and be, by believing you may have life in his name. So the main point of the gospel that you would believe in is that Jesus Christ is the access to eternal life. That life is found in Jesus. That God, Jesus is God and he wants to be known. That God has provided a savior himself in human flesh. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. And we believe in all things that he did, namely his death and resurrection. And that is the source of life. This is what John is building. This is the case that John is making. So you have two choices. I have to lay that foundation because we have to understand why we keep harping on the same things. It's because life itself is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if we have a life deficiency, it's because we have a savior deficiency and we have a vision deficiency because we're not focusing on the reason we were created. So we have two choices. You either die in your sins or he dies for your sins. Either Jesus paid for the penalty of your sins and this is good news or you pay for your own sins. Either you die to sin or you die in sin. You either accept his testimony or you reject his testimony. So verse 21, I'm going to start in. So you die in your sins. 
So he said to them again, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees after he says he is the light of the world. So he said to them again, I am going away and you are going to seek me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, but I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. Three times. Three times in this short section, Jesus says that you will die in your sins. So this is a big deal to Jesus, right? This is a huge deal to Jesus. It's important to get across for John. John made sure his speech was present here. He said that everything Jesus did and said could be filled up in the books of the whole world. So in this gospel, at this time, John made sure to write down three times that you will die in your sin. It's so important that he repeats it over and over again. Sins are the infractions of the order that God has created and established. It's going against his laws. It's cosmic treason. The definition of sin comes from the idea of missing the mark. So that, that's where that term sin comes from. So the idea is, think of an archer taking back, drawing back a bow and shooting and missing the target completely. This is the imagery that is used for the term of sin. It is to miss the mark of what God has required for his creations. The law of God can be summed up by loving God and loving people. So sin ultimately is to fail at either loving God or loving people. And think of it as a link in the chain. If you fail to love people, it shows that you don't really love God. And if you fail to love God, it's because you don't really care about people because our version of loving people is based on false ideas that they themselves will miss the mark. So we need to have our minds enlightened. We need to have our eyes open. We need to have our path made clear. We need the light of the world to see. We need to be illuminated. This is what Jesus is saying about himself in chapter 8, that he is the one who illuminates. In the dark, if you try to shoot a bow, you will miss the mark every time. And Romans says, anything done apart from faith is sin. So if we are not illuminated, the light of the world, by the light of the world, we will remain in darkness. And this is the state of the religious leaders find themselves in. He says, I'm going away. When you seek me, you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus says, you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. The religious leader will seek after the Messiah, and they will not find him. See, at this time, the Jewish people had their eyes peeled for the Messiah. They were looking out under every rock, nook, and cranny to try to find the Messiah. And they missed his coming. This Messiah was right in front of them. But they were in darkness, and they didn't see him. They didn't, he didn't fit the idea of what he should look like. It's a sin of unbelief. They were seeking after something that is right in front of them. The thing about this failure and this sin, it does two things. 
it does two things. One, it guarantees that they will die in their sin. That their sin is the failure to acknowledge God for who he is. And has, his creation is what it is. There is an act of rebellion that will be actualized in their payment of their sins. And two, that the single sin of unbelief just doesn't stay there. This is where it starts out and it stays there. They look and they can't find him. And it just grows because it's a failure to love God and to recognize him and to see him for who he is. And a failure of loving God will turn into a failure of loving people. And that singular sin will never stay singular. There won't just be one sin. It goes from singular to plural. Sin will quickly multiply. That's why it goes from you will die in your sin to you will die in your sins. But these religious leaders are worldly minded. They just think that Jesus is going to kill himself. He said that you are from below and I am from above. That you are from this world and I am not from this world. I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So what does Jesus mean when he says, you are from below and I am from above? You know what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, as in on earth as it is in heaven? This is something we should be praying. It can be similarly stated, as below as is above. Before the fall, heaven and earth were interconnected. The above is God's space. And man's space is below. Originally, they were intertwined. That's why God could walk in the Garden of Eden. That's why he could walk with his creation. That's why him, Adam, and Eve could walk together. God was present and accessible pre-fall. And then the fall happened, and God's physical presence was separated from man, and Jesus has come to be a light in the world to illuminate that God is coming back in flesh and will dwell with his people. That's why he says he is not, the God of, the, he is not of this world. This world has been tainted by sin. He is from above. He is from God's space. He is from the heavens because he is God. And for us to be able to go where he is, it took him putting on flesh and coming down to where we are. This is an amazing thing that Jesus is making the earth and heaven one again because he is God and he is being he is able to go to where God is. He can take us to the heavenly places. Jesus is making heaven and earth once again. His goal is to reconcile all things. And not just spiritual. Do you know in heaven that we won't get turned into angels? This is a common thing that I hear that God has gained another angel. That's not going to happen. We will have real bodies, physical bodies. Like we have now just without sin, without disease, without pain, without suffering, without any of that in the presence of our God face to face. And this is true of all people. We will all be resurrected. And the ones who have trusted in Jesus and believed in him and his payment for sins will walk with God in new earth, new heavens, new earth. No more separation, 
No more sin. But the ones who continue to walk in darkness, this isn't true of them. They will die in the dark. They will be separated from the goodness of God. Because they fail to believe in him who is good and the source of all life. Verse 24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He can't make this any more clear. When I say he, I mean Jesus. Jesus said the law is summed up in two things. Love God, love people. And Jesus says you can't do either one unless you do it through me. Unless you know me. So if you don't believe in him, you'll die in your sins. The sin of unbelief is the root of so many sins that just grow and grow and it spring up. And you need the light of life. We want to live a life that is pleasing to God. So that's the first choice is to do nothing. To say nothing. To seek after your own will, your own desires that have left you, let you down multiple times. And you'll die in your sins. But there is good news because Jesus died for your sins. He dies for your sins. It's my second point. What do you think those people's response would be? What do you think their response would be if he said three times, you're going to die in your sins, you're going to die in your sins, you're going to die in your sins? This is hard. This is challenging. Because this is what I'm saying to you, everyone here. Apart from Christ, if you die in your sins, you're separated. There is complete. You will pay for them yourself. So what do you think the response is? Who are you? That's what they say. Who are you? And I love this question. I've talked about it multiple times. This is a fundamental question that we need to know. We need to know about who this man is, this Jesus of Nazareth, the 30-some-year-old Jewish teacher who travels to the countryside, healing the sick, hanging out with sinners. Is this God or some lunatic? Should he be arrested or followed? Is he someone who we should be worried about or worshipped? Verse 25, it says, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, just as I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to you the world, uh, and I declare to you the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, what you have, uh, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Now I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do things that are pleasing to him. Verse 30, and as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. So, who are you, they asked. Jesus' classic response, I've been telling you this from the beginning. Jesus has made the claims over and over again through every sign and every speak that he is the Messiah. Just because you don't like the answer doesn't mean the answer isn't true. Just because these men don't believe Jesus was the Messiah doesn't mean he isn't. 
We have found out that Jesus is the bread of life that we need for food, that he is the water that we need for drink, that he is the light that we need to see. And just because you don't like the answer doesn't mean it's a lie or it's wrong. It means you don't like the answer. You don't like what it costs you. You don't like what it means. You don't like that you don't get to be the God of your own life. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus talks a lot about death. And why? Why not focus on God doing the things like healing the sick, feeding the hungry, helping the poor? Why not focus on the cool parables? Why so much death talk? Why do we do communion every week and talk about the body and blood of our Lord being broken for us? It appears that the cross was stamped on Jesus' eyelid. Something that wasn't an afterthought, but it was a goal. That Jesus is talking about when, this is what he's talking about when he tells the Jews. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And I do nothing from my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. When the Savior is lifted up, when his body was flogged, when his body was beaten, when his body was ripped to ribbons, an innocent man who was guilty of no crime, then you will know that I am he. When I die, this will all make a little more sense. The cross comes to no surprise to Jesus. I'm reading this book right now called The Cross of Christ. It's one of my favorite books, um, and it's just by an author named John Stott. And he says this, and I just want you to pay attention to this, that the Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Jesus, and which is the only regular commemorative act authorized by him, dramatizes neither the birth nor his life, neither his words or his works, but only his death. Nothing could indicate more clearly the central significance with Jesus attached to his death. It was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central in our religion, our religion is not the religion of Jesus. Jesus' obedience, life, death, and resurrection for the payment of sins is what Jesus came to do and accomplish in order to enjoy God and get back to our original state in which we were created for this is the reason for our existence but see we must have our sins paid for in order to for him to be consistent with his character and show that God is no flake how can we trust a God if he just lets everyone go scot-free in order for him to truly be just there must be punishment for all the wrong that we see. We would say this, we would see this, we demand justice when people do wrong all the time, unless it comes to us. If we can trust them for justice, we can trust them for mercy, and the cross accomplishes both. Jesus shows us that sin is so wrong, and so vile, and so treasonous, but he also cares about justice. It shows how merciful our Savior and Lord can be that he provides a way for redemption and reconciliation. In the cross, we see that sin itself gets paid for. 
So sin is either paid for by the sinner who committed the sin, the one who lives unrepentant, who fails to acknowledge the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, or it gets paid by Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man. And this is the choice we all must make. We must ask ourselves, who is this Jesus guy? You can trust him and turn from your darkness and acknowledge that his lifting up is the only way to get back in right standing with God. Or you don't, and then you pay for your sins yourself. There's one thing I want to leave us, because I don't want to leave us with just doom and gloom, because it's not just doom, it is beautiful that God would provide a way back with his creation. But verse, I love this verse. The last section he's talking about his father, he said, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing for him. This is my prayer for us, that if we trust in Jesus as the king, that his father is our father and his spirit dwells in us. I know this has been a trying time, a difficult time, Issues over and over and over again, economic problems, things with COVID, stuff going on with the election, racial injustice. I understand this, but know that you are not alone, even if you feel like it. If Jesus has paid for your sins on the cross, know that God, the Father, has also not left you alone, that he is with you. Know that he is in the midst of you, even if it appears to be the darkest season of your life. He is the light of the world. Know that when you're thirsting spiritually, that he is the living water. Know that you're, when you're hungry, he is the bread of life. My prayer isn't that we would be filled with so much head knowledge or cool things to talk about or fascinating little historical tidbits but we would grow in appreciation that who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he has accomplished. That we would truly know him, not about him. Know him. That we would love him, not just learn about him, but love him. That we would know that he will hold you in the midst of the chaos. And he says that he won't leave us as orphans. That you have a steady anchor for your soul. Because if you ask the question, who is Jesus? Will you say that he is my king? He is my Lord. He is my God. He is the one that has paid the penalty of sin in order to have a right standing and relationship and fellowship with him. That we get a clear payment. He paid what we could never pay. Sometimes I think <clears throat> that we just talk Christianese, that we say these things like, yeah, Jesus is king, yeah, he's God. And we can forget the beauty and glory of what has happened. That God himself has made himself accessible for us. That this isn't just some country club. 
This right here, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we live different lives. We live different lives because we serve a different God, a different king. We live by a different set of rules. We will share this good news to the end of the earth and we will be together as a family. We will allow garbage arguments to be thrown away by the wayside. The stuff that doesn't matter to be thrown and cast out. Because all I care that you guys know and that I know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because God put on flesh, died on a cross, raised from the dead, and said, I'm building a family. Go to the ends of the earth and tell this story. I have to remember this day in and day out. When I fail to be gentle, when I fail to be loving, when I fail to be kind, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for something far greater, a greater purpose, a greater person. I'm living for the world to come, new heavens and new earth. And it might seem foolish to the world, and I don't care because I don't serve the world. We serve a living God, a King of kings, Lord of lords. I have seen so much in the past seven days that shows that he is faithful, he is king, he is Lord. And in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, the fact that the church has rised up to the occasion to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And I know people in this room have seen it too. We do not stay feasting on ourselves, just getting fat and happy, Hoping whatever happens, we go out. We share the love of Christ. We share. We're generous. My prayer is that we would know that God has become accessible and it should change everything. And everything sounds repetitive because it is. We have an amazing God, an amazing King. We have an amazing group of people around here. So many different backgrounds, socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter. None of that matters because at the foot of the cross, we are all one in Christ if we trust in him. No partiality. Brothers and sisters united if we trust in him. Family if we trust in him. There are two paths. Trust in him or don't. Pay for your sin yourself or trust in the one who has paid the sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for these children. I love it so much to be active and here and present and playing in the midst of I pray that we would trust you, have hope in you, that we would know who you are deeply, that we would be transformed, that we would have transparent fellowship. These men and women, thank you for them. Encourage them, strengthen them, let them know that they are loved and cared for. Let them know that they are not alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.